Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, hosted on Beachhead Media and other podcasting platforms. Aaron has served as a pastor, chaplain, professor, author, and speaker, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, and ethics, and other relevant matters to help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Yeoman, and today we are going to be talking about the trans wars. Transgenderism seems to be in the news every single day. You've probably noticed that. And some think it's just a matter of permitting people to make decisions about their bodies and so-called identities. But we want to explore that there is far more to this movement than swapping out body parts. So let's discuss this a bit more in detail today, Aaron. Um, we wanted to talk about, first of all, what is the outfront message of the trans movement and why should we not believe it? It's very different than what we saw in previous generations. Um, even if you go back 14 years to 2010, news broke that a, a colonel, a Canadian colonel of uh, a military base here in Ontario uh, was charged with, uh, I think, 88 88 counts of basically breaking into women's homes and stealing their undergarments. And he had a whole catalog of uh, himself dressed up in their undergarments and uh, committed you know, other crimes in the process. Were there murders yeah. involved yeah, exactly. in that as well? Yeah. Uh, so there might have been a couple murders involved in that. And um, so throughout history, there have been creepy people who have had fetishes to try to act like the opposite sex. Well, in 14 short years, the guy probably would be promoted, you know, to head of the the, the army or, uh, you know, he'd, he'd win an election in uh, certain um, political parties to be, um, you know, the head of their party, maybe even the prime minister. So that which transgenderism isn't, isn't particularly new. There have always been people uh, behind the scenes, in the closet, dressing up as members of the opposite sex to satisfy some fetish. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of them, I would assume, as as a pastor, you know, knowing that people's actions today are often a, a result of something they experienced in their in their youth. There's probably some deep spiritual, psychological, emotional issues that uh, are behind all of that kind of behavior. So old sc- that's ca- sort of old school transgenderism. Okay, it's kind of weird. You got someone who dresses up in the opposite um, gender's clothes on their day off. But modern transgenderism has rapidly taken this thing to a whole new level. Uh, now we're offering not just dress-up parties, but you can undergo transgender surgery, as our listeners know, including on minors, which mm-hmm. is just a crazy thought. A lot of young women are undergoing mastectomies prior to the age of 13, 14, 15, and 16 years of age. And we know that, I mean, we're all teenagers once, or maybe we have teenagers. Teenage, The teenage years are not, are not the time to be chopping parts off. I mean, many young people are uh, struggling with the effects of hormones flowing through their bodies, uh, ident- identity crises, uh, trying to figure out how to relate to their, their parents, their peers, having a whole new understanding of or lack thereof of their own sexuality. But we seem to be promoting this. The Ottawa Hospital here in, in the province of Ontario, which is, uh, and of course, Ottawa is the capital of Canada, is opening up a whole wing, uh, from what I understand, to 
participate in gender affirming uh, surgeries, as they call it. And we got to be careful with the language they use too, because it's always taking that which is evil and destructive and trying to trying to put a moral spin on it, like as if it's affirming, it's it's caring, it's it's loving. This is they're they're pretty pretty good at that. Um, modern transgenderism has succeeded in 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 uh, encouraging many people to think of your gender as a subjective thing, like subjectivizing objective realities, uh, threatening people who call them out. Uh, we have uh, it, I I just find the most hateful, intolerant people are those that claim to be inclusive and mm-hmm. in favor of diversity. They are hateful, venomous people who will stop at nothing to penalize any dissenting voice, hijacking schools and invading corporations yep. with their agendas. Many corporations go along with this garbage, posting the flag on the door, uh, promoting chan- transgenders, and basically doing free advertising for a, um, a, a the growing trans movement. Now, this week in Canada, of course, we have 10 provinces. In the province of Alberta, uh, Premier Danielle, Danielle Smith and her uh, government banned puberty blockers. Thank mm-hmm. God for that. Yep. Uh, sex change surgeries and cross-sex hormones for kids under the age of 16. So this is a good thing. Men like Billboard Chris, we've got to give him a bit of a shout out. Mm-hmm. He's dedicated the last three years of his life to uh, overturning these abusive lies. He spent over 2,500 hours on the streets debating and dialoguing with people about these issues. The problem is it doesn't really go far enough because Danielle Smith, while she has banned these uh, there's these procedures, you know, at the same time came out with a video where she plays right into the lies by affirming the reality in yeah. her mind of, of transgenderism. It's, it's not a real thing. Like we've literally permitted the trans movement, if you want to call it that, to create a whole new type of reality, which doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. It's like, we're going to have a unicorn society, but unicorns don't exist. But we convince people long enough that unicorns exist. So then we have a unicorn society and then we have various laws to protect unicorns, but unicorns don't exist. That's, Mm -hmm. That's kind of what's going on here. We've created a whole new reality. Um, now, when you speak out against transgenderism, this is what you're going to hear. You're not going to hear any sort of substantive scientific response. It's all guttural. Mm-hmm. It's, it's emotional. It's accusatory. So you'll often hear the trans activists say things like, well, you hate us. Mm-hmm. You're making war on us. Our, our lives are in danger. Like They're making it sound as though people are going around killing people. I'll give you an example of this. Um, the Alberta, uh, an Alberta MP... Uh, his name is is Randy. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his last name properly. Bozenote. Uh, he he tweeted out this quote to every two S LGBTQ plus student who feels targeted tonight. Albertans support you. I stand with you, and we will never stop fighting for you. End quote. Okay, so we're we're saying like stop cutting breasts off off young girls, and that law stop giving hormone treatments mm-hmm. to little girls or little boys, and that law is somehow targeting them. Mm-hmm. It's very it's very wicked yep. what they're doing. It's, it's disgusting to hear that kind of uh, rhetoric. Another lunatic on uh, Twitter uh, tweeted out that the, uh, th- this new law in Alberta means that kids, quote, will be deprived of life-saving care. Notice how there's a, 
and there's the end quote there. Notice how there's uh, a twisting of reality. You're literally trying to protect kids from having body parts cut off that can't be replaced in their confused years because they bought into a lie. And yet the advocates of that who want to see kids have parts cut off are framing that up as life-saving care. Like if I don't get my penis cut off or my breast cut off, what that really means is you want to kill me. Like it's such a twisting of reality. And yet the, the shocking thing is it's it's Romans 1. It's the blindness of the human heart. It's the evil. It's the depravity of man. People have given themselves over to this. And it's shocking that while I, I still think the vast majority of people think it's nonsense, so few people, including people in the Christian church, yep. are willing to preach, podcast, tweet, have discussions about these things. Um, the pre, the p- premier's plan, uh, we're, we're being told, threatens the safety of uh, of you know more young Albertans apparently. So we would just say no, that's not true. These these are classic examples of good being swapped for evil, of desperately trying to pick, take the moral high ground when you don't have an argument mm-hmm. in order to shoot down at your enemy. Uh, you can't take the bait. This is the classic victim card tactic tactics that so much of these woke cultural Marxist agendas uh, advocate for. Um, we would just say uh, that you're lying, and um, in fact, what's happening is the trans movement is actually waging war on reality, mm-hmm. on science, on God, on grammar. And on civilization, that's the that's the the fact of it. It's not it's not really about dudes wearing women's dresses in public. It's not really about cutting breasts off of fifteen year old girls. Uh, it really is about their desire to wage war on various aspects of civilization and reality itself. And in that respect, it should be very disturbing for Christians and non-Christians alike to see this um, destructive ideology or agenda so rapidly sweeping across our country. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's interesting that many people oppose it in theory, but then probably think it's just an issue way out there. Right. They're not going to run into it. But I, I would imagine many of our listeners are finding this is coming much closer to home, that they are finding perhaps uh, people that they know now, not just people that they know of of. Um, that are in believing these lies. Mm-hmm. So to help unpack this, let's work through some of the false messages and the hidden or not so hidden agendas of the trans movement. Yeah, well, I, I think there there are several there are several objectives which our listeners need to bring from the back of their mind or the forefront of their mind of the trans movement. And I didn't order these in order of priority, but I think they're they're all true. So one of the objectives of the trans movement, without question, is to destroy parental authority, to destroy yet another sphere within society. So God, in his laws, has put parents in authority over their children until they leave and cleave. Mm-hmm. It is noteworthy that all societies, Christian and non-Christian alike, throughout history have understood this. In the details, they may have disagreed on what that looks like or what, what age a child yep. is released from parental authority. But all human civilizations understand that children are born completely dependent upon their parent. The parent has the responsibility and the commensurate authority 
to oversee the development of that child until they're able to quote unquote fend for themselves. And it, it kind of makes sense even. Like I mean it's in in the word of God, it talks about honoring your father and your mother. So mm-hmm. we are we are called by God to honor our fathers and mothers. And there's obviously instructions in the scriptures about how fathers should interact with their children or mothers should interact with their children as well. But this basic idea that parents have authority over their child is a biblical truth, but it's also just part of an ordered society. It makes sense. Like if you a, a child comes out of the world naked, unable to feed itself, unable to clothe itself, unable to care for itself, and every adult understands that that child needs to be cared for. And then there, there, there comes a point in time when it can perform those basic duties but then maybe doesn't have an understanding of uh, safety, you know, playing on the road, mm-hmm. uh, walking up to deep water without the ability to, sw- to swim, perhaps not understanding that, you know, when you interact with wildlife, some wildlife can be dangerous, or there's certain things you should eat or sh- shouldn't eat. And then you kind of come into those, what we call teen years, and you're not, you're, you're now developing rapidly in terms of your sexuality, and there's just a lot of biological functions taking place there, and it's it's confusing. And there's you know there's acne breakouts, and there's um, hair growing in places you didn't expect, and uh, you know women get breasts and men's penises grow larger, and it's just a confusing time for young people. And we as adults have a responsibility to help young people work through that, and then they get to a point where they are they are fully developed. And that kind of makes sense. You know, you can argue that that should be 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, but in and around 18 years of age, it kind of makes sense. You now have a fully functioning adult that is equipped with all the tools to, to leave and cleave. But society is trying to erode parental authority, which is granted by God and which is affirmed by all historic societies. Now, this isn't new. Remember during the, the, the pandemic, there was a lot of debate and angst about informed consent, uh, you know, vaccines being administered to yep. children without their par- par- uh, parental consent. And by the way, consent probably isn't the greatest word. That can just be another libertarian word meant to erode authority. It's probably better to speak of of uh, parental authority. Yep. Uh, now, parents should consent or not consent to things that are being done to their children. But if you, if you think of this more fundamentally, uh, it's really about authority. Mm-hmm. All sin, by the way, uh, is an attack on authority in some way, shape, or form. We've mentioned that before. Well, contrary to these historic and biblical norms, I saw one politician out west state that he was delighted when his own child came out. And then he made this ludicrous statement to the effect that she didn't need his consent for anything. Well, you know, maybe your daughter is applauding the fact that daddy has no rules for her, but that's actually irresponsible. Mm-hmm. and. And very a very destructive lie to plant in the in the mind of a child who's not yet capable of making decisions for themselves. But th- Chris, this is this is one of the consequences of a godless society. And the whole the whole myth of secularism is that human beings can figure it out by themselves without appealing to any higher law. We don't need a moral standard that's transcendent. We don't need an ultimate authority. We can just figure it out mm. by ourselves. But it doesn't work that way. Even in a secular society, you, you have to equip someone with authority to have some sort of order in, in the in the in the chaos. So you 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 generally upload that to the state. Mm-hmm. 
but then you end up with this like uh, soulless society where you realize, okay, if we just upload all authority to the state, but the state isn't benevolent because it's not accountable to any higher authority, well, then you start to be abused or used or when catastrophes break out in a society, uh, you're hopeless. And this is why we, I actually think that if we think of it as maybe a circle, you have this radical uh, libertarian individualism, which says in order to protect my liber my libertarianism or my individualism, I need the state to affirm it, right? Mm -hmm. So I need not God, but the state to affirm it. So the state says, okay, well, we will affirm your radical individualism and in order to make sure that you're not accountable to any higher power than yourself we'll get we'll kick god out of society but then the state starts to control mm -hmm. all of life and because the state has no moral authority over it it becomes soulless and unloving and uncaring and then it in turn creates a culture that is unloving and not benevolent and soulless and then the individual who is living under that state suffers further. So they desire individualism. They put themselves under a soulless, godless, loveless state, but then the state doesn't provide and doesn't meet their needs. So you have this, this um, catch-22 or mm -hmm. this uh, very ho hopeless environment that a lot of people grow up in. And then they start doing crazy things and thinking crazy thoughts and, and trying to, to, to satisfy their their loneliness, their alienation, or their their sense that they're not loved by getting high yeah. or cutting parts off or fornicating with anything that moves. Now, this is this is a, a an illustration on a different level, but there's a lot happening in Israel right now, and uh, m many people like to. Th there's there's obviously a religious element, but if you study the history of modern Israel, the the founders of modern Israel talked about the new Jew, and their their mindset was that in order for Israel to be successful, it had to be radically secular. So most of the early leaders of the Jewish state, and founders of the current Jewish state, were radical secularists. They thought, this is the key. This is the key to success and liberty and freedom. Get God out of culture. And then they, they obviously fought in 1948 uh, uh, for their for their sovereignty. They fought again against the Arab states in 1967, and then they they, they were feeling pretty invincible because they, they won that war against all mm -hmm. odds. And then war broke out again so when, when Egypt, and again, when Egypt and Syria invaded in uh, 1973, and they, they thought they were going down then, but they you know miraculously overcame. But that, that actually marked a turning point in, um, in, in Israel, where a lot of people that had thought you know, hey, um, the new Jew, the radical secularist, uh, that's a sufficient ideology to have a, a bona fide functional state. And there was a massive, um, I guess, reformation, you could call it, within Jewish culture, where people started to become very religious again. Hmm. Now, they didn't pursue, <laughs> you know, what we would consider the true religion, but they, there was an, uh, I guess a, a renaissance or a revival, if you will, uh, in you know ultra-orthodox Judaism, Orthodox Judaism, conservative Judaism, mm. and the state ever since then has be, is actually much more religious. There's a much more religious feel to Israel in 2024 than there was in 1972, mm. and it's because they hit it. They they realized that 
they were in a crisis as a nation, and secularism didn't answer all the questions or provide the kind of hope mm -hmm. that they needed in order to endure the devastation that they were experiencing in society. Again, I'm not, I'm not suggesting there. I'm not. It's not really apples to apples because I don't want to, people to think that I see you know Orthodox Judaism as on par with Christianity. But I'm just using that as a rough illustration to point to the fact that the worst form of government is is a non-religious government hmm. because it's not benevolent and it is not loving and it has no moral standard and it just tyrannizes you and further adds to your to your hopelessness. Yeah, it's not tied to a higher authority, right? Not at so. all. I mean, you know, even in other quote unquote religious societies, there there at least is some sense of accountability, mm -hmm. uh, even if they're non-Christian religious societies, some sense of accountability to a higher power. There's always tyranny and godlessness because without Christ, people are not truly motivated by benevolence and goodness. Mm -hmm. But the worst society actually for the citizen is the radical secularist society. It's, it's no different than communism. Mm -hmm. Communism is godless. You know, uh, Secularism is godless. It's, it's get God out. Mm -hmm. We will be your God. But we're not really benevolent because we're not accountable to anyone else. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. all, of this, all of this stuff, this desire to destroy, I probably di digress there a little bit, but this desire to destroy parental authority plays right into status totalitarianism, mm -hmm. right? Which is the, 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 the end goal of secularism one of the end goals of secularism. And those that are radical libertarians are gonna be in for a big surprise. So these radical libertarians, I wanna be able to chop off what I want. Mm -hmm. I don't need my mom and dad's consent. I wanna be able to do what I want, add parts, subtract parts. These radical libertarians are in for a big surprise when they realize that the freedom the so-called state is offering to them from oppression, yep. from the oppression of having breasts or having a penis that you otherwise don't want, is actually a ruse for the state to take control over all of life. So this is the way it all this is yeah. the way it always always goes. In Europe, pre-communism, there were overlords and uh, various dictators and various heavy-handed forms of government that were taking it too far in terms of their controls over the citizenry. So communism's um, attraction was this idea of freedom and commonality and liberty. But in order to have that, the state had to replace God and take absolute authority over all of life. And as soon as it had that, it began to suppress and oppress. So the transgender movement, which is a form of radical libertarianism, yep. I know measured libertarians won't like me to make that association, but it's true. Uh, transgenderism, which is a form of radical libertarianism, is all it's doing is it's saying, we don't want the benevolent God to govern and rule us. We don't want logic and common sense to govern and rule us. We want the state to govern and rule us and protect our rights. But they are in for a big surprise because mm -hmm. that state, the more power it is given, will eventually control all of life. And you will be like a caged animal eventually where the state controls everything you say and do. So it's a warning. Yeah. Yep, good word. All right. The second thing they want to do is to destroy womanhood. Now, feminism is uh, is generally thought of by most Christians as a pretty bad word. And and that's because, you know, we've gone through at least four, some would say even five waves of feminism. 
and the feminism that most of us have grown up with is is pretty godless. Uh, it's pretty uh, anti-man. It's mm. pretty anti-creational no- norms and roles. But if you study feminism in its early days, there were some. Uh, I mean, I don't like the word, and again, it's a, it's a tainted word. But there were some difficult situations and realities that women, you know, 150 years ago were were experiencing. Uh, those that were in the workforce, those that were in the home, um, you know, without God, you and without accountability, sometimes men abuse their their wives, mm-hmm. and there were some ab- definite abuses that women were experiencing. So the feminist movement. The early first wave feminism was, in some respects, a at least partially, a desire to solve that. Mm-hmm. And I would say, to their credit, they were rightly reacting to some of the uh, abuses that women were were experiencing. Uh, by the way, I think a proper understanding of roles uh, fixes that. Uh, we we need to do our best to elevate women to serve and to function and to have dignity and value in uh, all roles that God has assigned and opened up for them. Mm-hmm. And this is why, and, and the same with men, we need to affirm that. This is why I'm still a pretty committed complementarian. I, I think that um, uh, the problem with the word patriarchy in large part is it focuses more on the role of men. It, it, it seeks to provide a positive vision of manhood, but not necessarily a positive vision of, of womanhood. And I mean, even the word in and of itself is is uh, oriented in the direction of the male. Now, uh, I don't want to draw too big of a divide, as uh, you know, s- some of my modern colleagues might between complementarianism and patriarchy. There might be a bit of a, a false dichotomy being set mm-hmm. up there, a, a fight that's being fought that doesn't need to be fought. Uh, our greater enemy is um, egalitarianism, which seeks to destroy uh, all role relationships between men and women, but. Again, to kind of come back on track, I I, I think there's beauty in uh, acknowledging and recognizing that there are certain uh, capabilities that women have and certain capabilities that men have, and they are different. And there is beauty in the differences, and there is mystery in the differences. And there are there are differences in roles. Both have roles to play. One is not better than the other. They do complement one another. Uh, you know, I'd remind our listeners that the language of Genesis is helpmate um, or helpmate, and uh, that is not a word of subjugation. Uh, that is a word that demonstrates the fact that they they are, they would be of benefit uh, to one another uh, in the relationship. Um, but nevertheless, uh, feminism fought and, and went way too far, and and obviously became a very wicked thing. A very uh, uh, anti-creational movement uh, in our in our society. I, what what the third and fourth wave feminists probably didn't predict was uh, that transgenderism uh, would would rise up. And now it, there's a weird thing going on where women are giving up, for example, sporting events yeah. to transgender athletes. Um, so most of our listeners have probably heard by now of the the 50 year old uh, man in Canada here who identifies as a 13-year-old girl and is uh, changing and swimming with 13-year-old girls. Yep. And when reporters 
like David Menzies with Rebel News have have showed up to confront, he's shoved off by the police or the security agents hired by those uh, aquatic centers. And I'm thinking, it's unimaginable even 10 to 15 years ago that that would have happened. This man, first of all, you you wouldn't have gone out in public acting like a 13-year-old girl when you're a 50-year-old man. You certainly would have been wouldn't have been involved in any sporting event with thirteen year old girls, and you most certainly would have been in the change room changing with them. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's difficult to even respond to some of these news stories because they are so they are so ludicrous. Mm-hmm. And what's even more ludicrous is not just the person committing these acts, but the fact that all the officials are silent or complicit in it. Mm-hmm. And, and this is why uh, it, it's it's really becoming very difficult to trust law enforcement. It's becoming very difficult to trust public servants. It's becoming very difficult uh, to trust people in positions of authority when they're permitting this stuff to happen. And when a righteous man shows up to call out blatant evil— mm-hmm. He's the one that's pushed off. It, it's it's shocking to to think through these issues. No one seems to want to say uh, much about this. Well, aside from all the names that I could call this man that are flooding into my mind right now, uh, if we were just maybe to put that aside and think about what he's doing, like what what is he actually doing? What is this fifty year old man actually doing to to women, to young girls? Well, he's he's robbing them of their necessities. Some of the necessities that uh, young women have are the sense that they are protected from from oppression or from possible abuse. And when a fifty year old man shows up, changing the change of the thirteen year old girl, I can't I can't actually think of a more dramatic example of culture mm-hmm. saying to those women, "No, we're not going to protect you." Yeah. Men aren't going to protect you. Police officers, which are public servants to protect you, they're not going to protect you. They're actually going to protect the creep mm-hmm. that is watching you take your clothes off in the change room. Like how sad of a mm-hmm. culture have we gotten where those that are protecting, trying to protect young people, where are their fathers? Where where are their mothers in, in all of this? Like how, how is it they've been brainwashed to the point where mothers are, or fathers are even dropping kids off at the aquatic center, knowing that this guy is going to be there. They're being robbed of the enjoyment of their sport. I, I can't imagine on in, in any world, no matter what the color of the sky might be in your world, that there's much enjoyment in the sport when you're swimming down the lane and there's a 50-year-old man who's old enough at least to be your father swimming next to you, wearing a women's bathing suit, pretending to be your peer. Mm-hmm. And then there's just the the reality of fair play. It's just not fair uh, for the uh, a biological woman. It's weird that we even have to qualify that. Yeah. Uh, to have to compete in a sport where basically it's one body against another in terms of your physical prowess to, com- to compete against a male. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an attempt to destroy womanhood. Yeah, it's it's very interesting because there's I think there's quite a lot of feminists that are quite angry at the trans movement because of that, because they see it's erasing the gains they have made. Yeah, and, and it's a weird thing because there's that. But then there was a story, again, Menzies uh, was at this soccer game with women, and there, or a rugby game, and there was a, a guy on the 
court that basically decked and threw threw a woman to the ground, and somehow the women were defending him against Menzies. So it's it's a yeah. both and. It's a strange thing. So the third thing that the transgenderism wants to do, the transgender movement, is to destroy manhood. Now, men are designed uh, to defend and protect women and to lead. And that is... Um, uh, even if you were an evolutionist, which I'm not, and you were you were to buy into the theory of evolution, well, you you see in in bio, human biology that men have larger structures, more muscle mass, greater brute strength than women do, and women have uh, the capacity to gestate, carry children, to nurse children. So even in our biology, we see. Uh, a design that says, you know, this is designed to uh, protect and lead. So if I if I go to my toolbox and I pull out, pull out uh, you know, a six pound sledgehammer, um, as opposed to pulling out a, um, you know, small ball peen hammer or or a claw hammer, I could look at them and say, well, okay, there's three hammers here. There's a sledgehammer. There's a um, ball peen hammer. There's a claw hammer. They're all hammers. But clearly, they have different capacities about them. And, you know, if push comes to shove and the only thing I had to pound a stake into the ground was the little ball peen hammer, okay, I, I could probably do it, but I could do it a better job with the sledgehammer. And so, hammer's a hammer's a hammer, but there's, there's different designs to hammers mm-hmm. so that one is uh, better for framing, one is better for tinkering around with metal, one is you know, better for pounding stakes into the ground. People understand that. You look at the the biology, the structure of men and women, and, you know, if if there's only a woman present to defend her child against a a predator, well, you know, she, she could perhaps get the job done, uh, but a man's going to do a better job of that just because, in, and we're speaking in generalities, uh, he has greater structure uh, greater strength to be able to do that. His brute strength is is just greater than a woman's. And I don't know why this is something that people have a problem with. I mean, do we do we accuse a sledgehammer of being uh, um, you know a supremacist over a, a a claw hammer because it has greater capacity to pound a stake into the ground? No, uh, we understand that in 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 the realm of tools, there's different tools for different jobs mm-hmm. and. In the realm of biology, there's different body types for different jobs that need to be done. But men also have something called testosterone and large quantities of it. And testosterone plays a, a role in this, that uh, what we've seen in, in recent generations is an incessant attempt by the radical feminists and by egalitarians even within the church and culture to destroy uh, role relationships between men and women and to, to make men passive mm-hmm. when it comes to decision-making, when it comes to spiritual leadership, when it comes to defending women. And now the war has gone to a new level. So we've they've, I would say, been successful on, on convincing mm-hmm. a, a large cross-section of younger men and women, that there's no substantive role differentiation or division of uh, differences in capability between men and women. 
all the transgenderism movement is is the next logical step. So now the next step is let's remove the parts of men that relate to testosterone uh, production. So let's further demasculinize men by not only changing their roles, contrary to God's design, but now changing their bodies. It's just an attempt to further demasculinize men by literally modifying biology. Now, I'm just going to throw this out there. Ladies, uh, I suspect that most red-blooded women, most feminine women, have a natural attraction for masculine men. But if you in your sinfulness, permit or go along with a cultural narrative that says there's no difference in the role relationships between men and women, if you champion the egalitarian agenda, if you don't champion men as uh, leaders and as initiators and as um, protectors uh, in society, then don't be surprised when those men who've been demasculinized in terms of their roles, and it might sound kind of strange for you to hear this, are going to go out and start removing parts because they're they're thinking to themselves in the deep recesses of their mind, all these lies have convoluted their thinking. They're thinking, well, if I'm going to be treated like, if I'm not going to be treated like a man, then what's the point of biologically being a man? Why not just remove parts and identify as a woman because they're the ones that seem to get get the, the attention here? So in actual fact, uh, when a woman, and you know, women need to be part of this conversation as well, when women publicly champion male masculinity in terms of their roles, mm-hmm. I think they also reduce the chances of men buying into these transgender lies and, and chopping, off, chopping off parts. I, I just think that the two are, the way you treat a man in terms of his roles and his understanding of who he is and his masculinity are inextricably linked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you call it out of them, so to speak, they'll rise to the occasion. Yeah, I, th- so, I think so. Yeah. I'll, I'll just give a, a, a little illustration here. So I raised uh, three, three sons and uh, two daughters, and I saw in them from a ver- very early age different personalities, but a certain... I would say aggression or assertiveness in my sons and more of what I would call maybe a sensitivity uh, in my my daughters. Now I have a, a grandson that's only 13 months old and a granddaughter that's only eight months old. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm already seeing it there. Hmm. So the little girl has more of a hairpin trigger in terms of her sensitivity, like more, almost like wanting more more affection and uh, very sensitive. Her reactions are very sensitive to, you know, in, in her world, if she doesn't get her bottle on time or doesn't get changed on time or doesn't get held the right way, there's more of this sense, natural sensitivity I'm, I'm seeing in her. And the little boy, uh, what I'm seeing in him is a, a kind of a masculine aggression. So he, he is a, he strikes me as a fairly good-natured uh, child, but if you take something away from him, let's say he's he's eating something and you're like, no, you can't have them taking it away. Sometimes he'll just kind of look at me and he'll just slap his hand down mm. on the table, almost like he wants to assert his dominance. And he's not even one and a half years old. Now you could say, well, that's all anecdotal. Well, watch little boys and girls. And I think you'll see it 
regardless of the personality, regardless of their parentage, time and time and time again. Now, those need to be that that sensitivity that women naturally have, and that um, aggression that men naturally have can be used for good or for evil. Mm-hmm. And it, it needs to be framed up, it needs to be um, tethered, it needs to be controlled. Uh, you know, there's sinful expressions of aggression in, you know, hitting, fighting, stealing, <laughs> murdering. Mm-hmm. First child ever born murdered his brother. And then there's, um, you know, there could be attention-seeking uh, sensitivity or um, uh, women can sometimes struggle with finding all of their identity and what people think about them, and their identity is much deeper and more meaningful than that. So it can be used for the good or for the evil, but at the same time, I think mm-hmm. if you're a parent or a grandparent, you you want to, in a positive way, champion male aggression toward protection leadership, mm-hmm. uh, being able to take responsibility, being decisive in decisions, and women to channel that sensitivity into being nurturing, caring. Both both that kind of biblical masculinity and femininity do complement one another. One, one needn't dominate the other. They do complement one another, and they are a blessing to the other, so that both as a mago dei uh, are uh, made better are sanctified in Christ through the benefit of the other. Because the um, uh, anyway, that's just how God yeah. has has designed it. Yeah, exactly. So here's the fourth one. Um, to subjectivize objective reality. And I'll give you two illustrations of this, one from science, one from grammar. So when we permit transgender activists to say that gender is sort of a made-up construct, when even the heathen know it's a biological construct. And they, they, they play, uh, they're, they're slippery and they're fast with their words. So they try to make, they try to uncouple gender from sex, right? Mm-hmm. But re- the reality is what they're saying is that your biology is subjective. So gender is fluid. Man- manhood or womanhood, maleness or femaleness is not something that you're innately born with. It's something that is assigned to you. That's their language. Mm-hmm. And I would just say, well, you don't get to play uh, play the scientist with your delusions and actually to overturn science in the process. Like you, you can you can claim all you want that you're a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body. But the reality is, uh, on a biological level, you are born with testicles and testosterone and male DNA and chromosomes, or you're born with female. Um, by the way, speaking of a uh, man trapped in a woman's body, I got a joke for you. That comes oh, to I, know, I know exactly what it is. So I, I love, Norris, I love a joke by Chuck Norris. <laughs> yes. He said, I once was a man trapped in a woman's body. Pause. And then I was born. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's a great, I don't know if you ever said it, but I love the Chuck Norris jokes. So I was a man trapped in a woman's body too, my mom, exactly. saying that I was born. Um, but literally they're, they're eroding science. Mm-hmm. They're eroding biological science in particular, because if you convince people that something as binary and innate and obvious as male and female are made up constructs, then how can you even have a conversation? How can you even mm-hmm. 
interact with reality, if something that obvious, that objective is subjectivized, mm -hmm. it calls into question everything mm -hmm. that is objective about the world around us and subjectivizes it. And that then sets us up for a world of chaos mm -hmm. where there can be no structured thinking, no logic, no assertions that are made, no propositions that can be yep. offered to define or to hem in reality, no law that can be uh, enforced, no morals that can be enforced. So this is not just somebody thinking they can uh, you know, pick their, their sexuality or their, their, their gender. Um, it is literally an, an attempt to subjectivize objective reality. Mm -hmm. And the, the consequence, it's like a snowball effect. If you if you permit that, uh, even if you really really believe it because it suits your purposes, uh, you literally are contributing to the destruction of reality or of the ability to interact with reality in the world around you. Mm -hmm. What I find so fascinating on that point is that they have this interesting disconnect between sex and gender that they try to force. So your biological sex doesn't determine your gender, but then after the fact your gender is somehow supposed to determine your biological sex in terms of gender assignment surgery, reassignment surgeries. So why do the parts matter yeah. if they didn't matter in the first place? Yeah, that's a good point. Right? Yeah, why not just um, call yourself a woman and walk around with, you know, a penis and testicles? Right. Because, see, sin is not creative. It, it always takes what God has designed and tries to twist it. And uh, the reality is this. If you're, if you're a man and you have a penis and testicles, you know that those are male. Innately, you know that those are male parts. And so you have to remove them to deny reality. But in, but in removing them to deny reality, you're affirming the reality of your innate manhood, <laughs> exactly. or vice versa. Yes, So you can't escape it. There's a second aspect to the attempts to subjectivize objective reality, and that is in the area of grammar. So in, in the English language, we have about 50, uh, different derivations of our, our basic pronouns. So we have I, you in the singular, he, she, or it, depending on the, the uh, gender of the, the um, uh, subject. Mm -hmm. We have uh, we, plural, mm -hmm. you in the plural, or in the South y'all, yeah. and yeah. we have they. And then we have our uh, object pronouns, me, you, him, her, it, and then we have possessives, mine, yours, and so forth. But they're all yep. sort of based upon, you know, a limited, there's a limited set of pronouns to replace nouns in a sentence. But now the transgenderists want to change grammar and language to line up with their viewpoints. So he, here's a list of uh, pronouns that are apparently, apparently currently uh, in use that they want to add to the English language. Uh, they, her, or here, hears, xi, xem, xiers, that's a weird one, spelled X-Y-R-S, ver, vir, viz, t, tem, ter, e, m, ers. Now that's uh, one, two, three, four, five, five sets, just of uh, presumably what are like subject pronouns. And then all the grammatical derivations of those, you know, possessives and 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 um, object pronouns that would need to be added to make them useful in in sentences. 
And plus, the reality, the, 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 the weird thing is you can just keep adding your own. So if, if, if I say, Chris, I want to be called by Vervi or Viz, mm-hmm. then you might say, well, I'm going to be called by Ug, Ooh, Ah, and I have to honor that. And then someone else comes up with their own. So you, what you, what you, uh, you know, need to consider is how does that actually work? So just on a very practical level, how does yeah. that actually work? So has anyone considered that if you keep going down this path of literally making up your own words because somehow they make you feel better about yourself, that eventually you will quick, very quickly make communication impossible. Yep. You will have 10,000, maybe 20,000, maybe a million different mm-hmm. pronouns, and somehow you're expected to honor all of those and remember them all. And it, it all, all it takes is one oddball in their basement writing up their own list because they're attention-seeking narcissists, mm-hmm. and now you have to affirm their own uh, pronouns. Yep. Then has anyone ever considered that if you can uh, define your own reality and gender, then logically you can redefine your use of all other words or even reality itself. So I could say, well, you know what? In my world, I have my own list of adjectives. And I have my own list of adverbs, and I have my own list of nouns, and I have my own list of uh, participles and articles, and on and on and on. Like, I actually have my, uh, an entirely different language than you. Mm-hmm. And I expect you to honor me by using my vocabulary. The last thing I want to use is a, a white man's colonialist, racist English language or French or whatever, so I'm gonna create my own language. And I expect for you, if you're gonna employ me to speak my language. Mm-hmm. Well, very quickly, that just becomes impossible. Mm-hmm. And most people don't speak more than one language, much less maybe, uh, you know, some people might speak two or three, but you could, if there are, you know, eight billion people on the planet or whatever there is, you could literally have eight billion people presenting themselves to you with a completely different vocabulary and language. Mm-hmm. and then what you have is a complete breakdown of communication, which then leads to isolation and abandonment and a breakdown of culture and a breakdown of law. How how long will it be before we permit people then to take it to the next level and say, okay, if I can redefine my own grammar, I can redefine my own reality. Mm-hmm. So here's my reality. Well, you say you're my parent, but you're actually not. I'm yours. Well, I guess that's kind of already happening. Or you say we live in Canada, but I believe I'm a global citizen unrestrained by national realities. Well, I guess that's already happening too. Or you might say, well, I actually love people. No, you're a racist. Well, I don't think I am. No, my reality says you yeah. are. Yeah. Again, these are these are things that are already happening where what is real mm-hmm. is being denied and what is fake is being affirmed. And the consequences of it aren't just frustration or nonsense but you have a breakdown of everything human. You have a breakdown of our ability to interact with reality. You have a breakdown of our ability to communicate, which is one of the building blocks of relationships. Then you have a a breakdown of relationships. You have a breakdown of the arts, of music. You have a breakdown of mathematics. You have a breakdown of science. You have a breakdown of everything. You literally descend into a chaotic world that is less organized and more chaotic than the animal world. 
Mm-hmm. Like animals might give off these little grunts and groans or squeals or howls, but they have an they seem to have ability to live in unison in their packs or their prides in order to communicate. But and and their their form of communication might be very uh, rudimentary. Mm-hmm. But we would descend into an abyss even more chaotic than that, where there would be no ability to communicate with each other. And how can you not see the demonic in that? Yeah. Like how can you not? How can you not see? You don't have to be a prophet to see around a curve in the road. Mm-hmm. How can you not see where this is going? Um, in some ways, it reminds me of Babel. <laughs> it's like they build the monument to themselves, and then they're all confused, and they, but God, they're confused and deluded, right? Well, yeah, maybe there's a tie in there. I mean, God scatters them and confuses them, but now they're, but they're still nation states. There's still some measure yeah, of unity to really right. communicate, whereas God, in this world. They they confuse themselves to the point that nothing is is possible anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the fifth thing is to manipulate and change the law. So there's obviously um, uh, pretty uh, hardcore efforts to penalize free speech. Now, f- free speech again, I would remind from a Christian yep. perspective, we don't technically believe in absolute freedom of mm-hmm. speech uh, for ourselves. Like in other words, God's word restrains what we say. Yep. We don't blaspheme. Okay, that's yep. a pretty obvious example. Uh, we shouldn't say, well, I, I, God has given me the right f- free speech, so he's cool with me blaspheming. No, our, our speech is always limited yep. by his laws. But that's not the kind of uh, penalizing of free speech we're talking about. What we're talking about in our culture is this shocking, overt, willful uh, desire from those in positions of high office to to censor what you can say and what you can't say about these ideologies in our culture. Mm-hmm. So we have, as an exhibit A, uh, Ontario teacher, Michael Corradetti, who was suspended after telling students there are only two genders. It's like, you're out. The Ontario College of Teachers, they have their own little law code. They decided that that was uh, inappropriate and... Um, misguided and he's been suspended mm-hmm. for telling kids things that every teacher in the world up till maybe five or 10 years ago would have said. Mm-hmm. We have the conversion therapy bill. Again, you can't talk to people about their, their gender. You have to just let them live in the lie mm-hmm. or just let them believe whatever they want. And if if you dare say, you know, there's there's male and female, and this is how God has designed us in terms of our sexual functions. That's a myth, mm-hmm. and and you're, you know, we're going to throw you in jail for it. Um, now this will get worse, by the way, because a lot of Christians think, oh, the way to solve this is by voting in a a more conservative government. Well, there's a lot of governments. I mean, you don't, you could put a monkey in charge of the um, the. Uh, the economics of our nation and do a better job than what we see currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you could have a, an IQ of about 70 and be able to run a country better than a lot of what we see from our current government. But uh, putting in a fiscally conservative government uh, without putting in a government that has a true appreciation for God's eternal laws, for reality, okay, Uh it's not going to fix it. It may slow the 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 rot down, but 
the social conservatives uh, or, or the, the the fiscal conservatives who aren't what we would maybe call social conservatives, they, they don't they don't put the car in reverse ever. They just they just slow the car down a little bit, yep. and then the next generation, the next election round, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. So I, if you don't see that by now, uh, I, I'm not sure what I can say to you other than I think you're naive and ignorant, mm-hmm. and we we need to uh, if we're going to affect change, let's say in the political sphere. Yep. We need to push for people that actually, first of all, can comprehend reality mm-hmm. and aren't going to just pass bills banning puberty blockers, but are also going to be willing to say, actually, there's boys and there's girls. Yep. And that's all there yeah. is. Right? That's a good word. And then finally, to push God from society. No, God can't be pushed from society, but in people's minds, the recognition and honor of him certainly can be uh, diminished. And it, it won't be long before the Bible is considered hate speech because mm-hmm. the Bible challenges these uh, things. Mm-hmm. And many other Very books clear. that have been written based upon a biblical worldview challenge these things. Its author has already been publicly mocked. Uh, the the accounts of uh, God's laws in creation when it pertains to God making us uh, in his image, male and female, he's created us, those are, those are already declared myth in Canadian criminal law in, mm-hmm. in the conversion therapy bill. So... There's an attempt to push God from society. So this this is the this is the true agenda. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, and let me just review them quick: to to destroy parental authority, to destroy womanhood, to destroy manhood, to subjectivize objective reality, to manipulate and change law, to, and I'll just add to that to the point that we become lawless, mm-hmm. and then to push God from society and to declare His word. Uh, the opposite of what it is. It's life-giving, mm-hmm. but it's going to declare it uh, hate speech and something that brings about destruction on on people. Yeah, absolutely. So if you were to take then and trace ideological roots of transgenderism to their root, where do we end up? I think it's a hybrid of uh, several ideologies, just speaking in, in broad strokes. The transgender activists love to point to obscure examples in other cultures of people who have acted as the opposite sex or have created art depicting unisex individuals or point to indigenous culture because apparently that's so awesome right now. Uh, and they're, they're two-spirited uh, religious ideologies as proof. This is nothing new. Mm-hmm. Um or even pointing to creatures within the animal world who are asexual or who can you know reproduce internally as examples of how you know the world around us has always affirmed this it's 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 such a lie mm-hmm. i mean there have always been serial killers you know there there have always been fornicators and liars and cheats and thieves and there's been art and there have been uh, groups and clubs and societies formed to promote mm-hmm all sorts of sinful uh, conduct. It doesn't mm-hmm. justify it. Yes. You, you know, yeah. It's just that right now it's, it's, the, it's the thing. It's the in thing. By the way, if something's the in thing, you should probably run from it. Mm-hmm. In theology, if it's the in thing in theology, you should probably run from it. If it's the in thing in the social sciences, you should probably run from it. Tr- whether it's theology, um, 
or really any aspect of culture. I'm just, I'm just always very reluctant to buy into the in thing, right? Because it's it's usually not well thought through, and there's usually some other agenda or some flaws in it that are being overlooked. Yeah, the majority is not usually righteous in that sense, right? Especially they, in a very just, unrighteous culture, they just tend to get it wrong. Uh, it's it's a weird thing, but they tend to get it wrong. So there there have been. I just want to say that the, the idea of transgenderism with different names attached, yeah, it's been around for millennia mm-hmm. on a certain level. But the, the, what we see in our culture, I think, is a, a convergence of aspects of cultural Marxism. It's funny people think of cultural Marxism as a conspiracy theory. It's, <laughs> it's pretty hard to deny the reality of cultural Marxism. Cultural Marxism essentially is the attempt to subvert Western civilization. Mm-hmm. It's Christian. Anything, any Christian aspects of culture have to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, male-female distinctions, male-femaleness. Uh, God over state. God over yeah. state, spheres of authority. Uh, yeah. Anything to do with Christian history has to go. That's cultural Marxism summarized. Radical libertarianism. Um, I am my own God. We saw this in protests. It's it's not a surprise to me that uh, many that stood up against the government uh, statism are actually godless people because they didn't actually stand up against the government statism during the pandemic on principle because mm-hmm. they're wanting to defend spheres of authority. They just they're, they're, they're just rebels. They just want to be out from under authority, and whenever someone tells them what to do, they they say no. Mm-hmm. So there's radical libertarianism. The my, my body, my choice movement is is uh, part of that. Uh, you know the the pro aborts. They're they're part of that. Um, you know the free love movement. They're part of that. The you know cannabis smoking, token shooting, injecting, snorting group. They're all they're all part of that. Radical libertarianism. Well, if you think you can kill your child in the womb, that a parent has the authority to kill their child in the womb, then you know the next step is when that child is born, if they have that kind of radical autonomy that a parent or their child had, uh, well, they can cut parts off and they can alter their own reality in keeping with it. So radical libertarianism, Darwinianism is a huge part of this because Darwinianism is very dehumanizing. It basically reduces us to our biotic aspect. Mm-hmm. We're just the sum total of our cells and molecules, you know, our flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if that's your your whole, the whole of you, your whole identity, and you're not comfortable with it, then cut parts off and rearrange them. And the wonderful thing is the state will pay for it. Mm. <laughs> and then there's a satanic aspect to it. This is hatred for the Imago Dei. Mm-hmm. This is uh, a, an outright attempt to accuse God of making mistakes. That God yeah. said, I made the male and female. No, he didn't. He made 70 genders. Mm-hmm. Or he didn't make you at all. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a it's a an a direct attack on God's uh declarations. And then it's an attempt to recreate ourselves in our own image via the scalpel. Whereas God creates by the word yep. of his mouth or by the work of his hands, uh, man can recreate, thinks he can recreate by the scalpel. The problem is he can't. He just destroys. He he creates a cheap parody, mm-hmm. uh, a cheap knockoff, an artificial substitute for what God has designed. So when God designs a female's uh, sexual apparatus or a, a male's sexual apparatus, 
he's designed them in such a way that in the the marital act of intercourse there is a heightened pleasure and sexual climax. He's mm-hmm. designed them in such a way that they're um, uh, they're able to come together and to you know one provides the sperm, one provides the ovum, and they are able to create life. When the surgeon steps up, he 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 cuts things off. He cannot recreate. In fact, you lose the capacity to orgasm or climax and sexu- sexuality. You lose the capacity to reproduce and bring new life into the world. So it's all a, a cheap, artificial, plasticine sure. substitute for the real thing. And unfortunately, it's not till people on the other side of that that they realize how much those lies duped them. Yep. And we now have former trans activists saying, look, uh, I went through the surgeries and you know I got hair growing inside of me or I'm in constant pain, or I've had to go through a succession of surgeries. I've, mm-hmm. I'm the new Frankenstein, and it's just, it's not a good life. It's gonna shorten my life. I've, I've lost bone density because of the chemical treatments. It's a very sad thing, Chris. Yeah. It's, it's maddening, yep. but the more you think about it, the more saddening it is. Yep. It's maddening, but it's saddening. When you think about how dehumanizing, how, how the, the surgeon's scalpel, which, advertises itself as the shiny tool that can bring about this new reality in mm-hmm. your life or affirm you or, or make you feel safe yeah. actually is removing from you, destroying you, uh, reducing your, your, your ability to have pleasure, permanently reducing your capacity to reproduce. One of life's greatest gifts and legacies is to have children. So it's it's so satanic mm-hmm. and it's so sick and it's so sad, and this is why we need to do our best to continue to expose the lies, to ridicule the nonsense we see, yep. and to do the best job we can to protect our kids from mm-hmm. buying into these lies because they are coming for your kids, folks. They're coming for your kids, and they have a very successful marketing campaign, which unfortunately has convinced many young people to go under the, the surgeon's scalpel. Uh, so we just need to continue to pray, we need to continue to champion the truth, to expose the lies, to ridicule the nonsense, and to protect our children from irreversible mm-hmm. harm. Yeah, and in many ways, the the people that are um, tending towards transgenderism are one of the most oppressed people by our country because not only is there a constant pressure to go in this direction, but there's also a constant pressure to silence those who would oppose it. And so they're doubly at risk, you could say, right? Yeah. And so even more reason to speak out. Yeah, I mean, as soon as you get off the bandwagon and uh, speak out against what was done to you, now you are responsible for what was done to you, but when you speak out against the bandwagon uh, of of lies, um, suddenly you're you're the problem as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you're the oppressor as well. So it's it's a uh, siding with this movement is is you know like jumping into a bottomless pit, a mm-hmm. pit, abyss. Um, it's only downhill. Uh, there, there's no light at the bottom of the tunnel. Yep. It's just a darker and darker and darker and more dehumanizing. And what you're looking for, you know, if you are a person listening to this and you've considered these surgeries, what you're looking for, the hope and the healing and the true identity that you're looking for can only be found, I can tell you this in the bottom of my heart, can only be found in surrender to our benevolent King and God Mm-hmm. and repenting of your own sins as we have and asking him to make us whole in Christ and to live our lives 
uh, under his grace, under his rule, under his mm-hmm. lawful rule, and under his benevolence. That is where there is joy and peace and true transformation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we, we want people to be transformed, but not into Frankensteinian monstrosities. We want people to be transformed into the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is who is the the um, the second Adam, mm-hmm. you know, who who is the real man, and um, so hopefully that's a, a word of encouragement um, to those that may be struggling with the confusion of all this as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you uh, listening, and hopefully you've heard now about the Beachhead Media app that is out on Google Play, Apple Stores. You can get that, download it. You can share it, share this podcast episode. It's also available on a lot of other networks platforms for um, distribution. So hopefully you can like it, share it, share it, it, and um, make sure you subscribe and come back next week for another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock. 